0: and price for july the 7th 2023 we're coming to you from the wall center downtown don't forget about the wall center YVR, however as well the western wall center out that direction featuring the fabulous dining at the apron there's nothing at the fridge when you're coming home from that holiday stop and eat a fabulous dinner eat well before you go home and then begin the unpacking it's all at the western wall center at YVR. Sicaris and Price featuring Jeff Patterson today for the vacationing Matt Sicaris. How are you, Jeff? I am well, thank you. And we're all a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group, who we are still basking in the glow of our new partnership, and uh, we bask in their glow of community giving. They are leaders in that regard. They aim for over a million dollars per year, and they just want to make things better in the community. And with the people that they work with every day, providing resources for education, sponsoring kids' events, kids' sports, local events. So Applewood Auto Group stands behind its mission of creating lasting change in the community. Uh, Give them your business, folks. Applewood Auto Group. Uh, Busy weekend ahead. It's been a busy week. But I can sense summer's not too far away, Jeff. There's, um, There's a feeling of, meh, we'll wait everywhere just i don't mean necessarily just in the hockey world we'll get to that in a second but it just feels like summer's about to start here
1: well, i know it is in my household i was uh, in the storage <laughs> storage room looking for a suitcase uh, last night yeah. so uh, we'll put it to good use next week although i mean with you on monday so uh, getting ahead of myself a little bit here but just wanted to locate the suitcase and uh, found it so uh, all good on that front you and-
0: sent some open days ahead do you <laughs> yeah i'm uh, i'm looking forward to that as well uh, news this week of Alain Vigneault's decision to call it a career as an NHL head coach. He retires as the all-time leading Canucks coach in wins, in playoff seasons made, and in winning percentage. And it's all by a country margin here. And it leads us to our Bodog poll question for today. Who is the greatest coach in Canucks history? Define as you like. Alain Vigneault, Mark Crawford, or Pat Quinn. It's all brought to you by Bodog, your trusted source for sports odds. And the Vancouver Whitecaps hosting the Seattle Sounders, a Mm Cascadian derby coming up. And, hey, the Caps have already got one over on the Sounders this year, and they are the favorites, a plus 120. You wonder, can you steal two from Seattle at home in a given season? If you want to do the old Donnie Taylor, it's plus 225 on Seattle to win. The, the Caps can't have a draw here. They need to win. Plus 120 on the home side is not bad either. That's your Bodog line of the day.
1: And that's going to be tough. Sounders are second in the West. They don't concede much. No. And I'll be curious. Uh, you know, you don't want to have to have many bounce-back games in any season, in any sport. But clearly, that's what this is for the White Caps. They had the uh, momentum there briefly after mm-hmm. the win in Los Angeles. They go to Kansas City to get absolutely shelled and now they're in bounce-back mode. And so, you know, one step forward, one step back, that's not going to get it done. They're below the bar again. And so, busy week coming up, and you would know that as well as anybody. Uh, Can't look ahead, can't get caught looking at the schedule, but wouldn't it be nice to set the tone for the week ahead, three games in eight days, essentially, for the Whitecaps by getting one against uh, the Seattle Sounders?
0: As for the Bodog poll question, greatest coach in Canucks history, um... It's going to pull on everybody's heartstrings a little bit differently here. And I think Crow's in tough. Um, But being second in Canucks wins, we felt a little obliged to at least put his name on the the list. Um, I think it's an AV versus a Pat Quinn contest. Just to go over the stats here, folks. Alain Vigneault's at 313 career wins as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Again, that's 313. Pat Quinn's 129. Remember, he was in the front office more than he was really a head coach for the Vancouver Canucks, and I think those two things get conflated just a little bit. And the sure. question is, who is the greatest coach in Canucks history? I think there's a factual, to me, it's a factual answer, and it's Alain Vigneault. But what about you?
1: Yeah, the numbers are undeniable. Uh, When you think of the best era of Vancouver Canucks hockey, he was the guy behind the bench, and Mm -hmm. that's with all due respect to Pat Quinn and getting the Canucks to the the 94 final. You're right. I mean, Pat Quinn, his rightful spot in the Ring of Honor, he was a player. He was a coach. He was a manager. He was the president, and he shaped the franchise. Like Absolutely, he deserves to be in the Ring of Honor. I, I can have the discussion. I've got time for the discussion if AV should be up there. This much I know, with 313 wins, like, Alvinio is going to be the winningest head coach in Vancouver Canucks history for a long, long time. And it would essentially take Rick Tockett. I mean, you do the simple math there. Yeah. Like You'd have to have eight 40-win
0: seasons. Yeah. He's, and uh, vino has got a 75-win buffer on Mark Crawford, who in turn has a 90-win buffer. No, pardon me, a 110-win buffer on Pat Quinn. Like, this is, this is Vino's for a long time, as you said.
1: Yeah, so like I, I just think Alan Vino, you know, he came in, he was coach of the year early on, uh, and he grew, and that team grew with him, and obviously they became the best team in the National Hockey League. I know they didn't win the Stanley Cup, but they were the best team in the regular season two years in a row. That's not what it's about. They came up short in Game 7, and unfortunately for him, you know, he lost the Stanley Cup Final with the Rangers as well. So 0-2 in Stanley Cup Finals for El Vigneault, but still, I, I just think, you know, he had longevity. Longevity. There was that stretch there in 2009, remember, where they were on the losing streak, and we all thought maybe he was on his way mm-hmm. out, Burroughs with a shorthanded goal that sort of saved him and saved the team. Uh, but I think the longevity, the success, the innovation, the, you know, using the Sadines the way that he did, offensive zone faceoffs, using Manning Maholtra to take on Tufts so that he could free up not just the Zadines, but Ryan Kessler to have success. Like, you know, I think he was the right coach, and he had to convince Mike Gillis that he was the guy for the job to keep his job. They, uh, as a front office, you know, I think they advanced the way the game was thought about and played. Alavino was receptive to all of that. And so, yeah, for all those reasons, yeah, to me, he is the best coach in Canucks history. That said, we talked about Pat Quinn. Mark Crawford oversaw an era that is still. Revered all these years later, does Av's team have a podcast series after it? No, that's no. true.
0: Not yet, anyway.
1: You know, Mark's downfall was goaltending, and that wasn't his fault. Like he coached an exciting group. uh You know, that West Coast Express line was one of the, if not the best line in hockey for a while there. uh I think it, it showed people the way that game the game could be played here in Vancouver that it could be entertaining and fun and also successful, uh, up-tempo, all of that. And, again, Mark's downfall was that he just didn't get the goaltending necessary. Uh, But that group should have had more success. That Minnesota
0: Wild series will forever haunt them. I mean, what happens if they win that series up 3-1? What happens? Who knows?
1: Yep. And then the Bertuzzi incident, and it all kind of spilled. You know, if they had some goaltending, if Bertuzzi doesn't clock more, Uh, Mark Crawford probably coaches longer as the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks and maybe has some of the success that, that Alan Vigneault ultimately did. So don't discount what Mark Crawford did. I I think he put a stamp on, you know, one of the eras that we all look back on so fondly. uh, And so many memories came back listening to Scotty's West coast express podcast. And if people haven't uh, do yourself a favor here in the summer months. Yeah, there you go. Perfect time. yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, mowing the lawn, going to the beach, whatever, just uh, fire it up and away you go. And it brought back so many memories uh, for me because I was on the beat covering that team then and had forgotten a few things. Scotty unearthed a couple of nuggets uh, along the way that uh, I didn't know about. So I learned some things as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I want to give Mark Crawford his due, but to me, I do think that the answer is pretty clear. And that is Alan
0: Vigneault. And Crawford's winning percentage better than Pat Quinn's, 589 to 576. So Crow uh, rightfully on the poll question, but I think, again, I I know where everybody's going to lie. Everybody who's a Canucks fan listening to this, you know how you feel about the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, We know the torment that this team has put you through over the uh, better than half century they've been on the planet. If, if you want to just reinforce exactly why it is that you feel like you do, look at the Canucks' all-time coaching records. Hmm. And it's not so much the lack of wins, which is also stark, just the number of names.
1: Well, you got the big three that we just talked about.
0: Yeah. Four and, and I, five are disturbing. I remember when <laughs> Willie D worked his way yes. into the top five. Yes. He's fifth. Willie oh. Desjardins is fifth with 109 wins. Fifth.
1: Incredible.
0: Fourth is a guy who feels like, yeah, he was here, but like, what? Travis Green's fourth. Yeah. Travis Green is fourth on the all-time co- – like, folks, who knows if Travis Green will I, – I, for Travis, I think he's a, a, a good guy. I'd, I'd like him to be a coach in the NHL again. I don't know that he'll be. I don't know that he'll be a head coach again, but he'll go – walk around this summer knowing he's fourth on an NHL team's all-time wins list and not a recent expansion team. Like it, it, it's so disturbing when you look at all the names. Well,
1: yeah, like I mean, we think of this dark decade that they've come through. Yeah. And two of the guys that were at the helm for eight of those 10 years are four and five on the all-time wins list. My goodness.
0: Yeah. Like even John Tortorella's like 10th. <laughs> <laughs> He's only here for one season, for God's sake. His 36 wins. Put him halfway up the list. That's where this team is Ta- at. I'm
1: tapping out on this conversation. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, cool. uh,
0: more historical news notes, though, for the Vancouver Canucks. As Jared McCann made an appearance on uh, Luke Gastic's podcast. Luke Gastic, former National Hockey League himself. Um, and they talked about his tenure with the Vancouver Canucks. Um he uh, thinks that they gave up on him and way too early. And he says that it put him in a dark place and said that maybe another AHL season would have been what he needed to get back. But he says that them giving up and trading him away had a profound effect on him from a mental health standpoint, Um, which is an interesting stance to hear because he had airs about him that fans and media picked up on that made it seem like people extrapolated that he felt like he deserved something. And that's certainly not what this interview makes it sound like. It sounds like he was way more eager to learn. And and I mean, the answer is probably somewhere in between. There was a maturity issue there to some degree, but could the Canucks have handled it better? I think that's probably a a yes answer as well.
1: Yeah. I thought a fascinating uh, interview and, Credit to Grady, who posted it on his Twitter account. It got a lot of traffic there. Uh, That's where I saw it at the very least. And, you know, my thoughts when I think back on Jeremy Cannon in his time as a Canuck, just how young, and and he points that out, like 19 years of age. uh, There were high hopes. But, like, I've seen this in other walks of life as well, where somebody isn't confident. And so they sort of keep to themselves, and it looks standoffish, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And he said, like, I was afraid to speak up in that locker room. Like, who was I? I was, you know, a 19-year-old. He said the Sedins, no surprise, like, you know, they were good guys. He said he felt he could go and talk to them. But, you know, you think back to that sort of era and some of the other names, there were a lot of veterans around, and it's so clear that he just, he didn't feel comfortable uh, in that surrounding, in that setting, as a young professional, my memory of Jeremy Kent was the guy burst out on the scene. He scored five goals in his first nine games, and I thought, damn, like the Canucks got it right. Like yeah. this guy's going to have a, a, you know, had a big time shot even back then. Uh, but I just think he, even now, like pretty mild mannered guy. Uh, you know, you don't hear from him an awful lot. He lets mm-hmm. his actions speak for himself, and it's taken him a while, and he's bounced around, and you know, clearly found a home in Seattle and signed long term there, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I just think he was being pretty honest in this interview with Luke Gadsick that you know he thinks back, and you know, I think that's a pretty startling admission. Like he, ne- he you know, to hear a guy say he thinks he needed a year in the American Hockey League. Like yeah. most of these guys, you know, they've got such self belief that they're the man. Like they want to be in the show, and looking back now, he thinks he could have benefited from uh, at least a year in the minors.
0: He he he's also though a guy that I think Canucks fans and Canucks management um, involved at least, not current can look back and say yeah but it was still a long ways the fact that he has bounced around a bit like if seattle was the next stop for him yep. if it, then you then i think it opens up for regret but a lot of teams um thought they could do better i guess thought thought the, the money was better spent in a different way than on jared mccann and so i think that absolves the canucks ultimately from a From a severe miss here. Is is it a miss? It is, but it's not a severe miss.
1: And, of course, for him, he's always going to be linked to, you know, who they acquired, and that was Eric Branson. And so, again, uh, not a guy that's held in, you know, super high regard as a player here, good guy, but, you know, not a good trade for the Vancouver Canucks at the time. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, I remember when I was out on the road uh, Canucks were in Florida, and I went to a Panthers practice or morning skate, and there was Jared McCann just sitting in his stall. And I thought oh, I'll go up and you know, see if he was willing to chat. And I introduced myself, and I don't know if he remembered me from the time that he was here with the Canucks. Whatever the case, and I said, "Can we talk for a few minutes?" And he was like, "I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about Vancouver." Like you know, he had turned a page. There mm-hmm. wasn't rude about it, mm-hmm. but I, I think. You know, for him, like it happened. He tried to learn, tried to grow up. But I think ultimately, that's what it is. is He just grew up, and you know, so it's hard for me to knock a nineteen-year-old that's thrown into that situation. Uh, But I thought some real candor and some some refreshing honesty from a guy that we don't hear from an awful lot uh, on this podcast. Yesterday,
0: I mean, it's a uh, it's the reason why they do the interviews. They they want to gauge maturity level. I think in in a lot of ways. And, of course, so many teams botch these interviews themselves with their quality questions. But um, it's an underrated stat, if you will. It's not a stat, obviously. There's no maturity stat that you can objectively uh, keep track of. But when you're drafting the player, you know, getting a read on that person as much as the player is a big part of it. Because there's probably a lot of great players. I'm not saying that Jeremy Kent not a good person, but just um, readiness. Readiness for the task at hand and ultimately you have to pass on a guy that you think might get there but if he's going to need five years to mature do you have the time as an organization to let that happen some organizations do but not not everybody does
1: but i think it's also interesting to sort of compare what the canucks have now in place in their player development system as opposed to mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. they had back then and You know, a little more patience. And I know patience is in short supply in professional sports across the board. Yeah. Uh, It seems almost everybody wants to to win now and and have their players have success now. But, you know, in hindsight, again, had they handled McCann a little bit better, maybe they have a a 40-goal scorer that they had drafted and developed themselves and instead, it just felt like uh, there was always that rush to advance the aging curve. We saw that so many times with Jim Benning, where you trade a young guy to get a guy, you know, a little bit further ahead, uh, thinking that you were that much closer to whatever the stated goal was. But uh, they just chased their tail uh, for the better part of uh, you know the six or seven years that, that Benning was at the helm.
0: Slow down around the NHL right now. Not much happening. Is there uh, is there another big move for the Vancouver Canucks this summer? Let's. I'll, I'll put it. Yeah, before training camp, I'll I'll extend it to training camp. Is there another big move?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they would like to probably address that third-line center position even more than Teddy Bluger. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there aren't a lot of candidates that are out there in free agency, although Pius Suter remains a guy that, you know, I think they probably should have been and and we're interested in. Uh, He hasn't found a home yet. You know, when I the more I look at Teddy Bluger, yeah, he can win you faceoffs. He can help the penalty kill. That's great. Like those are areas that uh, the Canucks can benefit from a guy like Teddy Bluger. Uh But I was looking at this and I was just kicking it around and I wrote a piece at the Hockey News as well, sort of spitballing on the Canucks power play and their options for next season. And of mm-hmm. course, Bo Horvat had 11 power play goals before the trade, and they never really replaced him. Anthony Beauvillier only scored three power play goals after. You know, so who's going to be the guy in the middle? Like I think the Canucks have to figure that out. Could JT Miller move into the, the bumper spot? You know, could he move Elias Patterson off his one-timer side over to the left side so that he was more of the the quarterback where Miller has been working the last couple of years? So I'm curious about the, the bumper spot. But as I dug a little deeper on Teddy Bluger, I, if Teddy Bluger is required— they don't have an actual center on the second power play unit now— Maybe they run without, and maybe mm-hmm. they, you know,
0: win the face-off. It's often on the fly, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Teddy Bluger has never had a power play point in his NHL career. Yeah, I don't
0: think he's been thrown out there a lot,
1: right? So I'm kind of curious. You know, what does that second unit look like? How much are they going to rely on? You know, perfect world, your first unit cashes in, and you don't even worry yeah. about power play two. But you know, that's where you know, Sheldon Drys had six power play goals last year. Like, does that give him any sort of leg up as a center? But he's got to be in the lineup to help your power play. And I'm not convinced that Sheldon Dries is or should be an everyday player for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, that's where I come back to like third line center. Ideally, you'd love to have a guy that could kill you the penalties when you face off, but also could step in and be a part of whatever you've trodden out there as a second unit. They're going to have uh, Philip Ronick. I'm curious to see what he looks like. He's kind of the forgotten man in all of this, right? Because he only played the four games, and mm-hmm. you look at what they did in free agency, and we sort of assess what they did on July 1st. But I, I kind of include Philip Horonik almost in their free agency uh, spin just because we haven't seen him. And I would imagine he's going to be a fixture on the second power play unit, so uh, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, guy that, you know, has a pretty good shot, scored nine goals in 60 games last year, maybe he brings that element to all of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean... I guess to answer your question, I would think, yeah, it's possible, but I still think money has to go out first, right? Like mm-hmm. that, they, yeah, for sure. They have to clear some cap space, and then what does that flexibility allow them to do? Who's available? But, uh, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if there was still uh, – I'm not anticipating anything. I do think that managers are going to try to get a little bit of time off here, and so I think it will go fairly quiet, um, you know, through the rest of July and August, but that doesn't mean Patrick Valmein can – Operate on his phone wherever he is in the world. Doesn't Sometimes mean,
0: when when all the eyes are away from the sport, maybe. that's when you can work, yeah. You know, make some but magic happen.
1: I would not be the least bit surprised if there was a significant add to the roster ahead of training camp, somehow, some way.
0: Uh, locally here, it's uh, quiet at Nap Bailey Stadium until the 14th. Caesar on the road, and they get a four day break next week as well. So that's next weekend, the 14th. Weather looks great. Get your tickets now at Canadians Baseball. Com. BC Place is busy this weekend, yeah. though. Uh, first off, Caps versus Seattle tomorrow, as we talked about. Big Cascadia match there. Uh, Caps need to bank all these home victories before the seven-game road trip in August and September. Um, man, oh man. And yet, at the same time... If they do run the table here in, in these three games, they very well could be top three in the conference at the end of that three-game span. So, the world's are oyster. they just got to take advantage of it. The Lions versus the Owls on Sunday at BC Play Stadium. And um, a bounce-back need there as well uh, for the Lions after such a stinky match mm-hmm. following three beauties. So...
1: This one feels big to me for the BC Lions. Like they had so much goodwill built up, starting with uh, you know the road win in Calgary, come home, the home opener, LL Cool J, the buzz, yeah. shout out to the Elks. They go to Winnipeg and make a statement, and then fall flat on their face in Toronto. You know, if you lose at home to Montreal, all of a sudden you're three and two, and it's just uh, like two losses in a row. And anybody that was kind of on the fence, you're thinking uh, maybe you yeah, get back to me around Labor Day. We'll see where they are. If they bounce back and post a victory here and you know, four and one out of the gate, like that's an incredible start for the BC Lions. And you want to believe that that's more of who they are. Uh, you look what's happening around their division, I mean, Edmonton's a disaster, Calgary and Saskatchewan seem sort of middle of the pack. So the path already seems there for the BC Lions to for sure, you know, certainly keep pace near the top, think about a home playoff date, all those types of things. So uh, the difference between going four and one and three and two, I know it's just one victory, but it sort of feels like it's got a little more uh, heft to it this weekend, yeah. Uh, and significance just to show us that hey, whatever happened in Toronto, they weren't going to win them all. I get that this is sport, so uh, I'm willing to. I don't want to say a pass because uh, Vernon Adams can't be throwing the ball away as much as as he did in Toronto. Uh, so he's got to bounce back and show a little bit better himself. But uh, if you know they come out of this with a win at home. Uh, Start the season four and one. I'll believe that uh, this this version of the BC Lions is for real.
0: Time for the Golf Report. Brought to you by the legendary Arnold Palmer, designed Whistler Golf Club, open uh, and playing beautiful uh, through the summer season. If you've got a group of 12 or more, you, the group organizer, play for free. So all you have to do is tell them about your group and they'll take care of the rest. It's that easy. They do it all. Go to whistlergolf.com forward slash groups. Book your fall group outing. Right now, make sure you get the tee times that you desire. It's all at whistergolf.com. And you know what Arnold Palmer never did on the first tee at a big golf tournament?
1: I'm guessing that he never took part in a Flash Mob.
0: He never danced, yeah. <laughs> he never danced. Uh, he might have done a little, little shimmy, but I don't think he did a full routine. Um, His the,
1: follow-through was a little bit of a that's dance. true, yeah, there himself. was a little
0: bit of a something there. Um Folks, you know, me, at least, uh, I'm not a live fan. Um, I'm even less so today. And so are a lot of other people. Um, Because in their bid to be different, the folks at Live decided that a flash mob dance routine on the first tee at their event in London was the way to bring in the new golf fan. Um, Year is it right now? Pardon me? What year is it right now? Well, exactly. (laughs) Like, when's the last time you heard of a flash mob? Um... Even live defenders, like if you go on social media, like golf Twitter is a buzz with this. Even the 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 live bros are cringing at this. Oh, like for sure. like our guys did this really? It's uh, it's kind of perfect timing because if there was any sense that Live had sort of won this golf toe to toe with the PGA Tour, um, I think this is a bit of a of a check down on the on that thought that Live was. Uh, Sort of reinventing the golf thing. Anyway, no flash mobs expected at the John Deere Classic. No big names either, but no no flash mobs, uh, thankfully.
2: Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Hombre Margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our Peach ice tea will keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself
0: to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Here's the rest of today's menu brought to you by BC's Best Breakfast. Folks, the sun's up early during the summer. I'm a sleeper. But uh, even I'm up early during the summer. So take the extra hours and maybe uh, spoil yourself or someone else with a great breakfast or brunch at The Dutch. Anywhere in BC, find your closest one at TheDutch.com. Price is right. Coming up in a moment on AV, Uh, former Canucks staffer Rachel Dory stops by for her takes on the Canucks this summer and uh, a nugget in there on the future of Tyler Myers. Hashtags with some defenseman talk, two tweets, both might surprise you. Vernon Adams, aforementioned quarterback of the BC Lions, with some real talk on where his mind is at and where the team is at leading up to this game this Sunday, he'll join us a little later and a special edition of SVP. Matt and I broke off one final debate for the week before he left on vacation. So you can weigh in on who won the argument and today's topic, trading Tyler Myers. Plus, before we go, any of our errors and omissions as well. Time now for The Price is Right, brought to you by Northland's Golf Course. And Alain you may not have coached the Vancouver Canucks for a decade now, but with his announcement that he's now done behind the bench, this still does feel like the end of an era, even in Vancouver. Maybe more for me than others. By the time I was covering AV's Canucks, I was well into my career, hitting my stride just as the Canucks were. And it was a heck of a wave to surf on for a number of years. Vino's Canucks made the playoffs in six of his seven years at the helm. They won the President's Trophy twice. And they entertained on a number of nights at Rogers Arena, making it the place to be and the hottest ticket in town. They were just that good. You think of Vino, you think of good vibes. Most of that was the players, of course. But some of that was to Vino's credit. He was previously thought to be a defensive coach, but when given offensive talent, he clearly knew what to do with it. And the Canucks were a league leader on the power play and goals scored. For a few years, they rarely struggled. And when they did, it was often explainable outside of the coach's realm. That point of view from me, the defense of the coach, earned me the nickname Baby Dragon from fellow reporter, the late Jason Botchford. A nod to the Game of Thrones dragons that defended their Khaleesi, or Queen. I just didn't see much fault in the way A.V. went about things. The deployment squabbles I would see from the coaches that followed just weren't there for Vigneault. He had better decisions, and he also had better players, which made a lot of the decisions for him. And even in the 2011 Cup Final, which has been analyzed beyond belief, there are a lot of things outside the coach's control. The Sedins drying up on offense inexplicably. Luongo caving in on the road. The many injuries. The Rome suspension. Not much a coach can do. Ultimately, Vino's time with the Canucks came to an obvious conclusion. And that's probably beyond debate. But that time saw unparalleled success for this franchise. Enough so that the coach's 313 wins became a mark that is likely to stand for years if not decades to come. Is that a hot take? Maybe. What else do you expect from a baby dragon? That's The Price is Right for today. Any feedback, send it to the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL. Greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you. And The Price is Right brought to you by Northland's Golf course. Tea times booked 90 days in advance. A loyalty program as well. You could be golfing for free in no time. Details at golfnorthlands.com. Mentioned Vernon Adams is coming up a little later in the show. Well, we had a Lions tickets contest this week to send somebody to see Adams bounce back in person. And the winner of two tickets plus the food and beverage gift card mark hopkins from surrey congratulations mark hopkins from surrey you're going to watch the owls and lions on sunday bc play stadium all courtesy of sakaris and price and the bc lions
2: and a team store gift
0: card Ah, i guess food beverage team store you'll be kitted out congratulations mark we'll see you there no matter what you're buying folks when you're out in the world looking for this that and the other I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Here's a price featuring Jeff Patterson today, coming to you from the Wall Center. And a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. Time for you to experience the best-in-class experience that only the Applewood Auto Group can deliver. And that goes to buying your cars and supporting a company that wants to do things better. Their mission is to make things better for the communities and the people that they work with every day. That makes you feel better about buying a car from them. Applewood Auto Group stands behind its mission of creating lasting change in the community and also give you the best price on your next new car as well. Visit the Applewood Auto Group today. Bodog Lion of the Day for today, and that is USA versus Canada coming up on Sunday at the Gold Cup. Canada is up against it, plus 390 for a win against the uh, deeper American squad. Again, this is sort of MLS sides for uh, both of these teams. Um, the draw might be more attainable for the Canadians, and that's just tied after 90 minutes. Plus 280 for the Can- Canadians to grind out a 90-minute draw against the Americans in the Gold Cup with your Bodog line of the day, Bodog, your trusted source for sports odds. And joining us now, she's the host of Staff Graph uh, podcast and uh, uh, writes for the Hockey News periodically. And uh, also, of course, former Canucks analyst Rachel Dory joins us here on Sikaris and Price featuring Jeff Patterson, who uh, is in for Matt Sikaris. So, alas, I'll have to wait to say hi to Matt, uh, Rachel. But thanks for doing this. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. I got Jeff as a teammate now at the Hockey News. It's quite fun. That's right. We have a blast.
0: I understand it. It looks like a, a fun portal for uh, for everybody. We look forward to a full season of it next year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And who knows what the Canucks <laughs> will give up for Jeff to write about uh, in the coming year? What do you think of the uh, the past fortnight? Um, well, let's start with the draft. Uh, it was uh, it was. I think everybody thought fine. Rachel, what were, what was your uh, synopsis of it?
3: Yeah, I think. Um Honestly, like the Canucks can't be more entertaining than they were last year. Like maybe it would be good if they were less entertaining for mm-hmm. everybody's sake, mm-hmm. um, including like yours. Um, but honestly, like the draft, I think Tom Willander is going to be a fantastic top four right-handed defenseman. And those are really hard to find. Um, having said that, um, I think it's hard to ignore the talent that they left on the board, um, specifically with Zach Benson. Um but honestly like i don't think the willander pick was a bad pick at all um, he wasn't my top rated defenseman in the draft i had him like a couple spots lower so it wasn't even that much of a reach for me it was that benson fell and was right there sitting waiting to be picked and he was somebody that i everybody had rated really highly so did i so i don't think that it was disappointing per se from like a first-round perspective. The rest of it, I would say that there was a lot to be desired. But then again, like, you have to trust in your development, and if the Canucks do that, and they should, given who's in their development department, um, you just never know. I think if they get two NHL players from this draft, that should be considered. They'll be inextricably
0: linked, though, won't they, going forward in their careers? Like, the comparisons will always be there between Willander and Benson for for Canuck fans, right?
3: Well, yeah, I think so. One, Benson's a Vancouver kid, right? So that's hard to ignore um, that side of it. The other thing is, is like, everyone talks about size. And I went back and I looked. In the last 10 years, I looked at every single Conn Smythe Trophy winner. And Crosby's won it twice, so there's technically only nine winners, right? Five of them are under six feet. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Two of them are six foot, or three of them are six foot one, and only uh, two of them are... Over six foot one. So you don't have to be big to have an impact in the playoffs, clearly, because more than half the time, somebody sub six feet is winning it. And so I don't think that's a good enough justification. But getting a right handed defenseman is super valuable. So I can't really fault them for that. The problem is, is you also need a center and a good one. And Zach Benson's that and I would I would take his skill set over Will Sanders.
1: What do you make of what they did then, uh, July 1st, obviously they had needs. They went and they think they identified and addressed some of them, uh, in Carson Susie, and Cole and, uh, Teddy Bluger.
3: Yeah. I loved the Teddy Bluger signing. Honestly, I thought that that was one of the best signings of the day. I think that's a great bet. Um, I probably, I mean, I have my rule, like don't make me tap the sign of don't give <laughs> role players term or money. I would have been comfortable going two years with Teddy Bluger. Um, he is somebody that is going to drastically um, improve their penalty kill. Um, I think that he like he's good in the face-offs. He wins his puck battles. He'll, he's in the shot lanes. His stick's always in the right place. I really like that signing. I think he'll be a, a good bottom six player for them. Maybe take some of the pressure off of Nils Amon. Um, the Ian Cole signing was a little bit too much money for me. But, again, that's a penalty killer. He brings some snarl. Um, he was kind of the odd man out last year in Tampa Bay like he really only played when there was an injury Um, but he should be sort of like a stable top six guy for Vancouver and and they've needed that I mean if you look at the last couple of years it's been not fantastic and so I think that's fine the Carson Soucy deal I mean that's again that's term and money that's not a term I would have gone to because that's a sixth defenseman. And whether or not the Canucks see him as a top four defenseman or not, the reality is, is he was Seattle's sixth D and he hasn't proven he can play top four minutes yet. If he can play top four minutes, that's going to be an absolutely fantastic deal. But if he can't, we're talking about another boat anchor and that's what they should be trying to alleviate. I will say though, Jeff, it was nice to see that they didn't go out and spend millions of dollars on long-term contracts that are going to impact the future of this franchise five years from now. So th- I thought that was a, a positive.
0: Yeah. Bo- just, smaller boat anchors.
3: Just back to, to Blooker
0: <laughs> for a sec.
1: I mean, in a perfect world, you'd like a little more offense, I think, from a, a third-line center. Uh, Patrick Elvin on July 1st believes that there's more to give there. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I mean, you talk about some of the reasons they brought him in, penalty kill and face-offs, and those are all ways that uh, he can help the Vancouver Canucks. but. What about offensively? And what about their center depth? I mean, you've got Pedersen and Miller, and then it feels like such a gap there to Bluger and Amon.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, you could have addressed that through the draft, the center depth, um, but again, chose not to. I don't think there's a ton of offense to Teddy Bluger's game. I think 30 points is probably the ceiling there. Um, And in today's day and age, you kind of need a third-line center that, can produce offensively, but is also a capable shutdown center. Like you look at JT Comfort, right? That's like, look at the third line center role he played when Colorado won the Stanley cup. That's what a third line center is, right? You're providing offense, uh, but you're also really dependable. I think ideally on a cup contending team, Teddy Bluger is your fourth line center, right? Teddy Bluger is the Nicola of the Vancouver Canucks kind of thing, if they're contending. And right now he's going to be asked to play third line center, which is, that could be a little bit much for him. Um, in terms of center depth, I, I think Elias Patterson is going to be in the conversation for the Selkie next year. I thought he should have been in the conversation this year. Um, he is one of the top centers in the game and is probably going to be paid like it. Um, I JT Miller will be a center for maybe two more years. Um, and I think eventually he's going to have to move to the wing. So that center depth is worse than it looks. Um, We already saw Miller playing on the wing last year. Um, And so I think that's an area that needs to be addressed. Perhaps can they pry a Michael Backlender and Elias uh, Lindholm out of Calgary? Um, Can they they look for something on the trade market, things of that nature? Because I think that's an area, especially that second center role, that needs some serious uh, addressing.
0: I mean, we were tossing this around already. Do they have one last big deal left in the summer? Like, are you thinking any of these deals happens potentially this summer? Um, Do they see the urgency the same way that a lot of us do?
3: Um, I'm going to say no. I I don't think Mm. they see that urgency. Um, I think we are going to get another trade. I think Tyler Myers is going to get dealt um, now that that bonus has been paid. I think that he has value around the league now that he is – just sort of um a one million dollar salary guy um i know well, that we'll
0: we'll, we'll we'll stop you there we'll stop you there because conventional wisdom is that that's a september bonus that that bonus hasn't been paid yet do you have any different information
3: i believe that bonus was paid this week um that really? i was yes i believe that bonus was paid this week so i mean repeat Regardless of, I think it was paid this week based on the information I have. If it hasn't Mm -hmm. been paid, the Canucks can opt to pay it early so they can facilitate a trade. That is an option that's available to them. If it's paid in September, which I don't believe it is at all, um, they can still trade him before the season starts. There are teams that are going to need help on the right side. And if the Canucks Mm -hmm. are willing to retain salary, let's say they're willing to retain 50%. Tyler Myers at two and a half or $3 million is a much more palpable sort of contract to take than the the full brunt of it. And because he is big and because of the whole size nonsense in the league, he is going to have value. And that's something there where I think that the Canucks could extract a legitimate, fairly marketable player from that deal. And that's something I think that they should look to do given what they had to do with Oliver Ekman Larson. I think that they should look to get something from the um, Tyler Miles deal, I thought that they should have re-signed Ethan Baer regardless of the injury. I kind of still think I hope that happens because I thought he fit in really well in Vancouver, um, whether it was under Boudreaux or under Tockett. I thought that he looked a little bit better. And so um, kind of that increased opportunity, I think it will be a good spot for him.
1: Looking at the big picture, obviously now that July 1st is out of the way, the attention turns to Elias Peterson and trying to get him locked up long-term. And J.P. Barry was on local airwaves here this week saying, you know, no real plans to meet face-to-face with the Canucks until later in the summer. How much of it from the Peterson camp do you think is tied to Austin Matthews, Sebastian Ajo, you know, nobody wanting to jump and, and try and set the market?
3: Um, I think that Vancouver needn't, that management group needn't be concerned about what's happening outside of their own four walls um, in the most respectful way possible, like get your own house in order first and then worry about other people's houses. I think setting the market is something um, that is going to happen regardless, right? You're looking at it. Nathan McKinnon's contract is already signed. Um, obviously, Leon Settle is going to be up next summer for one. There there are different ways. I don't think you can even count Carolina in it because they have a different way of going about things. Carolina refuses categorically to overpay for anybody. I mean, they let Dougie Hamilton walk. And so um, I wouldn't even use anything Carolina does as a comparison because they just do things differently. Frankly, they do it so much smarter than 90% of teams in the National Hockey League. But I think the Austin Matthews comparison is a fair one. Um, That is something where obviously I think Pedersen should get a little bit less than Austin Matthews. But I think he should be in the same ballpark. To me, Elias Pedersen is one of the most underrated players in the league. He is at minimum a $10 million center, if not better. Um, I think that there's a scenario where he is like a top seven, top eight center in this league for the next eight or nine years. And and that's something where you, you're going to have to pay for that. And the Canucks may or may not have to overpay. But I do think that there's some hesitancy on both sides. J.P. Berry wants to get the most for his client and the Canucks are leery because they've already been caught overpaying for other players and the reality is is if you're going to pay more than you should for a player it should be an Elias Pedersen or a Quinn Hughes or a Thatcher Demko and it shouldn't be any number of other contracts that have been signed recently
0: what do you make you you uh, alluded to Couple answers back to the uh, the size thing in the NHL. What do you what do you make of this? Because um, I, Matt and I got into it. I think it risks slowing the league down a little bit. Although, as he points, it's just a different way to get from A to B because your reach and your your length can help you get from A to B, even if you're not as fast a skater as the guy beside you. But is it going to have a tangible effect on on the fans' enjoyment of the game? What, what's what's this size revolution going to mean to the National Hockey League? Do you think
3: you're talking about getting smaller?
0: Well, getting bigger. I think. I think this this past summer, in both in the draft and free agency, teams targeted bigger players. Well, the
1: Vegas effect,
0: right? right. Yes. To, it, yeah. Exactly. Copycat league, as per usual. Um, I, I wonder if the league slows down worked. a little bit.
3: Yeah. yeah. When has I, the I, copycat I, <laughs> thing ever worked? Everyone tried to copy the oh. 2011 Boston Bruins, and that went famously well. Then, in a similar tried way. To- yeah, and then everyone tried yeah. to copy the Blackhawks and that also went famously well because you didn't have Patrick Kane. So mm-hmm. like, being... I never understood this copycat thing because you, once again, need to focus on what's going on in your own house. And so like I think that there were mistakes made at the draft based on size. Yes, absolutely. I do think that there's something to be said for mobile players. But what we saw in the playoffs was that until the rule book is actually applied correctly, bigger players will have an advantage because they can just get away with bloody murder and Mm -hmm. nothing is going to happen. Now, if somebody looked me in the face and said, I think you can't win with Kale McCarr because he's 5'11", but you can win with Tyler Myers, I would straight up laugh. Do I think you can win with Tyler Myers? Yes, I think you can. A third pair D roll. If Tyler Myers is your top right-handed defenseman, you have a major problem. And so I think size has to be married with skating, with puck-moving ability. That is the most important skill in the game for defensemen today, is puck-moving ability. I don't care if you're a behemoth. If you cannot make an adequate breakout pass, you are completely useless to me. Because forecheckers are too fast. Skilled players are too agile they could dart in and out of lanes they're going to recognize things like that so i do think it will slow the game down as it pertains to the playoffs because we're going to see more of that grabbing and clutching but in the regular season i think some of these players are going to get exposed because if you are Mm. not a good enough skater guys like mcdavid and matthews and aho and Rupa Hintsey, even Jason Robertson, Connor Bedard, they're going to run circles around you, and the penalties will get called in the regular season. So you kind of have to find this delicate balance of are we willing to take the issues in the regular season knowing that they may not be issues in the playoffs?
0: We could have players that are deemed to have poor or poor regular seasons end up being the heroes in the playoffs just because they couldn't handle the speed of the regular season. But in the playoffs, when it gets mucky, um they're able to perform so maybe that maybe that is the trend you do maybe you you keep the big guys in your back pocket until in uh, until the playoffs and then you trot them out you know what um, does
3: that say about the state of that the league seriously where we like we're talking about building one team for the regular season and one team for the playoffs you don't do that in baseball you certainly don't do that in uh soccer football uh you don't do it in basketball like what are what are we doing? That's, that is so silly. It may be under the guise of
0: load management, but, uh, (laughs) but you know, the rule book is different. I mean, no other sport has as different a rule book as, as hockey does, right?
3: No, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, if somebody said to me in my like role kind of data wise today, like, Oh, we have to build one team for our like regular season, but then we have to build, we, we have to play different players when we're in the Champions League. I would look at them and be like, how about you just play the Champions League players in the regular season too? <laughs> yes. Because theoretically, they're supposed to be better. And if they're not, we need to have a serious discussion about why. And so that's something where I think the league needs to probably take a look in the mirror, which we know is not going to happen. No. So you kind of, it's it's finding those unicorns, the Matthew Kachucks, the Brady Kachucks, the um, Tyler Bertuzzi's, players like that who can be good when the going gets tough.
0: Although Matthew Kachuk even had trouble putting up points at times during the playoffs, so of, of course. So
3: He was a menace, though. So He was, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: He was, indeed, his usual self. Uh, thanks for stopping by, Rachel. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Hope you have a great summer, and uh, we'll touch base in the fall, perhaps.
3: Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the uh, Whitecaps play.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, can you send a German striker uh, their way, please?
3: <laughs> I'll do my best.
0: Thank you. It's a Harrison Price from the Wall Center. It's time for hashtags: the best and worst of Twitter, and maybe threads. We haven't decided yet. There is no worst on threads right now. No. One big happy family. That's true. It's all just 11 from the 50 people that are there. No bots, no trolls. I'm sure they're coming, though. Jeff and I are there. <laughs> the show is there. Great. Are you there individually? No. No.
2: I waste enough time, as it is
0: on all these other apps. Yeah, it's probably true. Oh, and hashtags brought to you by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Don't forget break off a call to jason anytime you're near the end of your mortgage or if you're shopping for a new home because you can lock in your rate for up to 120 days so no matter if it goes up or goes down you're going to be better off because if the rates go up it's okay you've locked in at a lower rate if the rates go down guess what you just renew at the lower rate it's a win-win-win-win-win all around get the personal touch you deserve go to jason.mortgage jeff you want to get us started Sure. I've got one from AFP
1: Analytics at AFP Analytics. This is a consulting firm that uh, is trying to better understand uh, the National Hockey League players' contracts. And so uh, they've got top five remaining NHL UFA defensemen ranked by our projected cap hit. Mm -hmm. Matt Dumba is number one on the list. 28-year-old right-shot defenseman. Makes sense. Ethan Baer, he of the bum shoulder.
0: Injured till November
1: is number two on the list. Like people said, this was a weak free agent class, and yeah. of course, we're a couple of weeks in, and so lots have come off the board. But if people are thinking that they're going to double back and find some bargains in the bin, Ethan Baer, who's not available until perhaps Christmas, mm-hmm. is second on this list. Caleb Jones, Simone Benoit, Cal Foote, uh, they round out the top five. You do wonder, though, with Matt Dumba, like, did he miss the market entirely here? Like, is he going to get anything close to what he and his camp are looking for? Or is this going to be a case of a guy that's going to have to take a a one-year deal late in free agency and maybe, uh, you know, use it as a springboard
0: to next summer and go through the process again when there's more money in the market? I I, I don't even know that he's going to be able to get, you know, John Klingberg kind of money. Right. Like, Uh, it'll be a one-year deal, but I don't think it's going to be a $7 million deal. Like... And that's why if the Canucks can pull off a Myers trade and get some cap space, I mean, goodness, if they could get all of that cap space back, they need a couple of million to be cap compliant, can they get Matt Dump on $4 million? What, what, if that's what they've got them they've
1: at. They've got them at a three-year $4.4 million AAV.
0: Which is, I mean, that's that term is not crazy. Um I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, dovetails a little bit into this at Big Head Hockey. Every defenseman this season, this past season, with 70-plus points and a positive takeaway differential takes the puck away more than gives it away. There's two defensemen on the list. 70 points and a positive takeaway differential. Quinn Hughes is one of them. He is. And... I would say there's probably two guys rattling around in your brain. It's one of them. <laughs>
1: well, there weren't many that had 70 points. No. Uh,
0: I'm guessing
1: Eric Carlson handed the puck away a little bit.
0: Yes, but this is a positive one. So, right. yeah, so, so, yeah. so yeah. You're negating him, yeah. Uh, Morrissey? No. No. It's Adam Fox. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought Fox and McCarr would be in your head the the most, but uh, Adam Fox is the other guy. So,
1: well, I knew McCarr didn't play enough games; he only played the sixty games. Right?
0: So. Uh, Quinn is absolutely a two way defenseman, is the final sentence of the tweet, um, and that's true. There is more than one way to be a defensive defenseman, and you know, I think most people just think of winger or forward bearing down on you on your on your flank. What do you do when he's one v one? And that is a an element of defending. But picking pockets and maintaining possession of the puck is another way of being a defensive defenseman.
1: And this is my point. When I saw that Quinn Hughes was ninth in Norris voting this year, I'm not sure what he can do. Like, I think he is going to be saddled with that all-Canadian division season when he was minus 24. Yeah. And, I don't know, I think a lot of Norris voters and and members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association have, have made up their mind that he can't defend. Right. And so... We see it here. We saw the growth again this year uh, in the market. But I just wonder at a time when you've got McCarr, you've got Fox, you've got Miro Heiskin, and you've got uh, Rasmus Dahlin. You're going to have Owen Power who's going to work his way into the conversation. There are so many good young defensemen. I just don't know that Quinn Hughes is going to be able to rise above because it feels like people have already painted his career as, oh, yeah, this incredible offensive force, but the guy can't defend. And that's just not the case.
0: You know what it might take. Remember when in Dallas, um, God, who was the big bruising forward in Dallas all those years uh, during the like the Turco years? Uh, God, I don't know why it's. Um, he was like their number one or two center, I believe. Hit hit like you wouldn't believe. We we get ten hits a game. Come on, help me out. Like Jamie Langenbrunner? No, no, no. He was like he was like their captain, maybe even like Brendan Morrow. No Brendan Morrow Yeah okay. no. Yeah Brendan Morrow The home Counting stats People in Dallas Olympian Brendan Morrow Used to Give Brendan Morrow Like 10 hits a game On the regular So to say, by the end of the year He led the league in hits Every single year I mean maybe that needs to happen At Rogers Arena Maybe they just need to give Quinn Hughes Like 7 takeaways a game So that he obliterates The takeaways record And starts to get Sort of A, a reputation of something
1: Something's got to change because I just it feels like he's always going to be saddled with that one All Canadian yes. Division where he wasn't great, the team obviously wasn't very good, and I don't know. Like I, I, he's better than the ninth best defenseman in the National Hockey League at least this past season. Yeah. he was, and for him to be finished not ninth in North voting, I was blown away by it. Yeah, I was blown away. We by need by Jeff it. to get a vote so he can
0: rig it. For yes, exactly. that's true. I did not have a vote
1: this past year. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got one from our buddy Farhan at Farhan Lal G T S N uh, Do you see this Eskimos? I not the Eskimos they put me on E's and O's. Yeah. Uh, the Elks and the Riders. Did you see the, the game and the end of the game last night? I was
0: following along on social media. I oh, wasn't watching, but craziness.
1: Incredible. And we've seen this before where Americans come to the CFL and they just don't know the rules. Yeah. And uh, the guy's name was C.J. Sims, the returner. Uh, let's the kickoff go over his head. It bounds into the end zone in a tie game, and there's your single point that turns out to be the winner. So the Elts are 0 5 now. And like, it's unconscionable to think that a professional athlete doesn't know the rules, but so much of that's on the coaching staff. Yes. Too. And in that situation, yes. like, yes. You know, stand 15 yards deep in the end zone and run it out. Like, don't let it go over your head. Anyways, Farhan says. The Elks record notwithstanding, when something that ridiculous happens to determine a game, it makes the entire league look bad. That type of mental error should simply never happen at this level. And I agree. Like, people are talking about the CFL today, but not necessarily for the right reasons. They're talking about a guy that doesn't know the rules of the game that he plays, and it was ridiculous. But I have to say, and I tweeted this out, that uh, just how casual C.J. Sims was as he sort of sauntered back To this ball, like anybody watching, knew that it was going to be a live ball in a single point. Mm -hmm. He had no idea, and so he's casually going back for it as uh, the winning point is uh, being put on the board. So I got a kick out of that at the very least.
0: Yeah, this is a guy still relatively new to professional football. Period. Very interesting. He's uh, he's twenty eight. He was playing NCAA football in twenty (laughs) twenty
1: one. A late bloomer. Yeah,
0: he. (laughs) Decided on college late. Um, yeah, You're right. Like when, they, when they're in camp, you give them the, the rules lowdown. But you don't rest on the laurels of that. With a game on the line, that special teams coach should be in his ear saying, to be abundantly clear. You don't let the ball go through the end zone.
1: Yeah, like stand inside the end zone as a returner and yeah. make sure it does not get past you. Bring it out. We'll go to overtime and take our chances. Yes, but... So, yeah, I mean, he's the fall guy because it looks stupid and he's going to be the guy on highlights, but I'm with you. It's the special teams coach. It's the head coach, and they had a chance, like, right before the kickoff, right? Like, just give the instructions to the guy and push him back deep to make sure that what happened doesn't happen. Uh, the Elks, by the way, and I guess they were the Eskimos, for part of this, they're 7-30 and in their last 37 football yeah, games. Yeah,
0: not, not a good franchise right now, and who'd have thought because – They seem well, the the stamps have taken a step back too. All all that being said, I mean, the the stamps and uh, heck, the 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 triumvirate, the writer's stamps and us and and Alex don't look that great. And who'd have thought that? It's a good year to be a BC Lion. Um, At the big lead, Victor Wambanyama's security team apparently slapped Britney Spears. (laughs) She came over, apparently, she's a fan, Hoops fan. Um, she came over during uh, where? What event were they at? They were in Vegas for summer Sum- league. Summer league, yeah. And Spears went over during. She was out to dinner apparently. Yeah, and yeah, they slapped her backhand.
1: Well, but when by Anna's camp and the Spurs are saying that she. Like, approached them aggressively. Like, first of all, who knew Britney was a basketball fan? But second of all, that she... I mean, I'm mean
0: i sure there's an expectancy there of, you know who I am, let me near Oh, him. no
1: doubt. Yeah. But just the headlines, like, I-, I love the fact that, you know, I was not expecting a Britney Spears-Wembiana uh, mashup in the middle of summer. Like, I thought no. this week it was all about, like, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. And I'm just thinking, like... I'm put, like him on, put
0: him on the undercard. <laughs> Put them on the undercard. Slap fight. (laughs) And that's hashtags for today.
2: Joined now by BC Lions quarterback Vernon Adams. They host the Montreal Alouettes Sunday at BC Place, 4 p.m. It's FanFest Day. All sorts of fun for the kids. Vernon, thanks for making time.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Are you over the Toronto loss?
4: Yes, it's flushed, man. It's flushed. It was a tough one. Um, you know, a uh, uh, real tough one for for your boy, for me, you know. So, um, you know, but we, we flushed it, you know, washed it, made our corrections. Um, and like you said, we're just getting ready for Montreal now.
0: D- get- Does practice just take that away? Like just a bunch of days of practice? Can you is that part of the flushing thing, or is it pure psychology? And you just you have to do it within the brain rather than on the grass?
4: I think it's a lot m- mentally, you know. Um, yeah. You, you you have to watch it. You got to cringe. I was cringing a lot, you know, but, um, you know, you, you got to watch it and you got to make your corrections. You got to see what you did wrong and see what you're going to do better next time. So um, I try to get it out mentally as much as possible. That way I can go into practice with a free mind, a free spirit, and just be present and uh, be who I am, be who God created me to be and you know that, that that's a baller you know what i'm saying and get these guys, you
0: guys are playing so well Vernon.
4: yeah where does that game come from
0: like is, is it just that you'd expect like I, I try to to put myself in your shoes and sometimes when things are going great on the golf course i get casual and i think oh i don't have to think about anything because i'm playing so well And all of a sudden i you know i get a 10 um is, is it that? like it's, it's so shocking because you guys look like a well-oiled machine there for the first few weeks.
4: Yeah, you know, and even in this last game, we did a lot of good stuff, man. It, it yeah. was a lot of good stuff, man. Our defense is still playing lights out, man. They're playing good. The, they all scored off of, you know, my turnovers, you know what I'm saying? We got a punt return taken back on us and things like that, you know, but take all that away. It's a, Obviously, it's a different game. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we're still a really good team, man. And I trust the process. I trust our coaches. Yeah. I, I trust what we do here. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not worried about – I'm upset about what I did and how I let my team down a bit this past weekend. But I know I'm not worried about moving forward towards the future because what we do here is really good.
2: So what, what did go wrong, Vernon? What were the mistakes uh, they identified on but film? Yeah,
4: you know, just um, – Forced a couple things there, you know um, They did a good job, they they got Some good players, you know, uh, Corey Mays coordinator over there, brought his Calgary system Over there, and um, everybody knows That Calgary system works when Everybody's doing the right thing, you know, and uh I just got to get down to my check down sometimes. Sometimes you don't have to force those big ones all the time. And even though sometimes these guys, they make those big plays for me, you know, um, there's guys underneath who are open and who will get the first down, and we'll live to fight another down. You know, those big plays will come. You know what I'm saying? So I just got to be patient um, and just play my game, man. Don't don't get out of character and force things.
2: One of the things that Blake and I have marveled at is that every week, my man – You've got a different collection of receivers there because somebody's missing the game with a knock or a nick, and yet the beat goes on. I mean, Hatcher comes off the sixth game and balls like that. A word or two about this receiving group you're working with, and Vernon... How can it be so good week to week with so many interchangeable parts here coming in and out of the roster?
4: No, man, you you hit it, man. These guys are all professionals, though. You know, um, they're not here for no for no reason. You know what I'm saying? They stay locked in um, even if they're not getting many reps in practice, there's, they have scripts on the sideline. They're, they're going through their scripts. They're getting mental reps. Like if I was there, this is what I would do. And the next thing you know, boom, they are up, you know what I'm saying? So all these guys are, are great players, great human beings. Um, they all work hard, man, and they all deserve what they're getting. You know what I'm saying? Um, the Aidens, the Hatch, D rhymes, luck, all these guys, they, they're all professionals. So, um, Justin McKinnis, you know what I'm saying Alexander hollins, um Katoy, all these guys, man they they they're not selfish or anything, so um, they just want everybody around them to succeed. And when you got a team like that, that's how we can spread the ball around and have some fun and do good things,
2: yeah, and the Canadians in particular, I, mean, I love the way Katoy's moving some piles for you, uh, catching the ball in traffic and then looking to run guys over and get to the sticks and boy McKinnis has such great length he could be quite a quite a uh, weapon in the red zone going up against smaller DBs.
4: No, definitely, definitely, man. And we've seen that in these first few weeks. He had a great training camp. Uh, he showed us that in training camp, and that's what, you know, got him in there to get this get this opportunity, you know. So um, it, it's great. It's, it's going to be great for us moving forward. And it just ups the competition, you know what I'm saying? When you have really good guys right behind you pushing you, then that makes the guys in front of you, they're going to push even more, you know. So, um, yeah, it's great.
2: We should mention Rhyme still leads the league in touchdown passes and uh, Holland still leads the league in receptions after week four. Vernon, one of the things uh, we've remarked about you since last year is just sort of the attitude and the leadership that exudes from you. You know, last year stepping into the spot with Nathan Rourke, you said all of the right things. This week coming off a difficult Facing performance, music. Yeah. you said yeah. all of the right yeah. things. It's an interesting position because intrinsically you've got to be a leader whether your personality suits it or not where is all your leadership come from and how much time did it take you to grow into a starting quarterback with all of the responsibilities that 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 entails
4: yeah you know i wasn't always you know um the best with the media and and, and the answers i i was always a victim i always felt like i was being a victim and guys would do their jobs and i would take it personally and um I would listen to Nipsey Hussle, you know, rest in peace, and he would always say we need to take constructive criticism differently. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to be a victim all the time. Him and then on top of my, my devotionals every day, uh, by the grace of God, man, I'm just trying to be a better person, a better leader, a better human being, and I just need to be present. And being the quarterback of a franchise, it comes with it. You know, when everything's going good, they they say good things about you, when it's not going good, it's going to be about you as well. You know what I'm saying? So you just have to, you got to come with it, and you got to be a pro. And I'm working on it every single day. I'm not the best at it. Yeah, still working on it every day.
2: Well, I'll say this, my man, and we, Blake and I have talked about it over the years with many quarterbacks. You know, the tough part is when things go well, you've got to deflect right and praise others and when things go poorly you You never get the basket on
0: yourself (laughs) that is the
2: nature i mean
0: you you've been a starting guy where you were you know the expected starter the next week in in your career already but does it feel and not that you're resting on laurels here at all but I, i does it feel like this is the most ownership you've had over a team in your career like you know the uh last year was a weird year nathan's not around And you've got guys behind you, obviously, in support should there become a need. But it just feels like you might be more ingrained with this team than you've ever been in the CFL before. Is that fair?
4: I think that's fair to say, you know. uh, Montreal, we had a quarterback Carousel going on over there, crazy things like you said. When I got here last year, I still felt like this was Nathan's team, so I I didn't really say much, you know. I just wanted to lead by example and just still be there for him and make sure he was okay. But this year, you know, uh, doing things on the off season with the receivers and coming up here a few times uh, during the off season, training with the guys in the facility, uh, doing a full training camp, you know. Um, the guys voted me a team captain, which I'm very honored of. And, um, you know, I just I do feel more comfortable and just, just better as a leader, you know, moving forward and being able to speak up and um, just lead by example as well.
0: Did you expect this battle when you left college? Do you think you you know you had a fine college career? Did you think it was going to be a little bit easier to be a pro that you just walk onto a team and or did you did you foresee clawing and scratching to get to this point?
4: No, absolutely, man. You know, coming out of Eastern Washington, then Oregon, you know, yeah. I, my mindset was okay. I'm gonna go to the CFL. It's kind of like I'm going to Eastern Washington, and then I'm gonna try to go back to the NFL. You know, that's yeah. Yeah. young yeah. Americans, yeah. you know, ideal thoughts, you know, and so yeah. But then you get humbled real quick, man. This game is very different. It's 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 fast. It's more players, field, three downs. It's things you have to get used to as a quarterback that you're not used to being an American quarterback. So, um, but I love this game, man. I've learned to love it and I've learned to respect it. You know, and um, that's the biggest thing. You gotta you gotta put in the work. You gotta respect it and uh, just keep trying to get better every single day.
2: Oh, if I had a nickel for every American player who's going to come up here and dominate, right, Vernon? (laughs) Yes. You'll be a rich
4: man. Oh,
2: And I love the story we got in week one that, you know, there were three straight training camp reps, and they might have been the first three, where you were on point, hit the receiver in flight, and the guys in the huddle were sort of shaking their heads like, yeah, that's our quarterback. That's our guy. Uh, What are you up against Sunday, against the Alouettes, and is it personal? for you given your time in Montreal
4: Mm. Uh, you know I I try not to look all into that you know I know they have a a great D coordinator in Noel Thorpe Um, you know he he brings some pressure he plays some man you know uh, he does a little bit of everything you know what I'm saying and um, they got a good defense over there Uh, doing some good things as well as as well as our defense you know so I know it's going to be a battle um, but we're in front of the home crowd man Um, ready to come out here have some fun man obviously I I would love to beat Montreal just because you know I spent most of my career there you know but um, just got to take it one day at a time you know can't look too far ahead can't peek too early I got to handle what's going on right now at this second.
0: Long season.
2: Yeah, and uh, they've been a lot of fun already this year, and particularly uh, the offense under your charge. Vernon, thank you for this. Much appreciated. Good luck on Sunday, and we'll catch up down the road here.
4: Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. God bless. Go Lions.
2: So Harrison Price from Wall Center, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group, and I've dropped into this Podcast, Blake, mm-hmm. with you and Jeff, because Surprise. S versus P, you need an S. Yeah, it's that simple. So we're going to have at it here. Uh, first, a review of the records. You're 4-1-1 one, and one this season. Finally on the board here after draft week. Today's question, should the Canucks keeper trade Tyler Myers by opening night? I will be arguing on behalf of keep. Blake will be arguing on behalf of trade mediator Grady Sass presiding here. Two minutes each per argument. And those of you who are consuming this on Twitter and YouTube, we ask that you vote according to who made the better argument. Not your own opinion or any preconceived notions heading into this debate. You are the jury box and clear conscience jurors. So. Who's going first here?
0: Uh, I was in the losing position, so um, losers out. I will, uh, I will go first because okay. I want to go first more than listen to you first. So, <clears throat> okay, Blake, your two minutes starts now. Tyler Myers isn't an NHL defenseman. If I was the Canucks, I would have no problem with having him on the blue line for this season, but not at this price. That's the issue. If the Canucks can somehow find a way to turn the $6 million in cap hit into some cap relief and then a $3 million defenseman, absolutely, you do that. And maybe those are two separate transactions, maybe it's one. Regardless, there is a need to do this. The Canucks are over the cap right now and are in the unenviable position of almost hoping for long-term injury to bail them out. Keep in mind that That overage I talked about that takes into account the injuries to Tanner Pearson and Tucker Pullman already. So they need more on top of that. And as we've already found out, trading out anybody else on the roster to get this cap space has proven difficult. All the wingers, they've been dangled already across the National Hockey League. No takers. Myers, as a budget-minded defenseman in September... With a high cap, it could prove valuable to a number of teams. He could prove useful to a good team with cap space as well. Again, he's totally fine, especially as a third-pair defenseman. His only issue is the cap it. But, heck, the New York Rangers could fit him in. The prayers for Myers to have a great season and then trade him for a magnificent bounty at the deadline is a dangerous game to play. Bad season, no value at the trade deadline. Injured, no trade possible. Great season and the Canucks are in a playoff position. No chance they trade away a right-side contributing player when they have a playoff spot staring at them in the face. Too many variables at play. A burden hand way better than two in the bush. So you make the trade now or at least in September. Find his replacement via free agency or trade and get your house in order. Time to spare. Thank you, bye. Five seconds.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt? I must say, when you go second, you are provided some material here in rebuttal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have to be factual material rather than well, just in name this calling, case. However. Uh,
2: I, I have yeah. a lot to uh, fact check you on.
0: Oh, oh mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure your truth is the real truth.
2: Grady, I'm taking the headset off, lest you try and get in my ear
0: and screw up my rhythm here in argument. All right. All right. The post truth era begins. In five. I, I honestly, that is. Uh, I don't think I. He's playing the jury up, Screw up your rhythm. I think you screw up your own rhythm enough. So you're just creating enemies here on this version of SVP. All right, have at it. Okay. Let me know, Grady. Yeah,
2: your two minutes starts. The winner now. gets this four pack of Yellow Dog High Fives. Incidentally, they we've wish. Put some, we've put some stakes. They wish. S versus P.
0: All right, I'm resetting because you're not following my orders. Your two minutes. I have my
2: headset off. Starts now. Yeah. Blake talked about getting cap relief for Tyler Myers. I mean, in this cap tight environment, you got to be kidding me. Teams of space know what the Canucks are selling. They know the predicaments they're in. Blake name checks the New York Rangers. They have Adam Fox, Jacob Trouba, Braden Schneider down the right side. In what world are they a Tyler Myers suitor? My God. You can't trade them between now and September 15th because that $5 million Bonus. So right now he's a liability. You'll get no return. You may have to pay to get him off your books. It's hard to trade him after that bonus because teams are in training camp. They fall in love with their players. They have some difficult waiver decisions to make. Most teams are at full health at that point. Their cap guys are trying to get it right to the limit there and maximize their LTIR. So it's a very difficult time to move a $6 million salary, even if some of the cash in hand is paid, but most of all, if you're trading him in September, you have to replace him. What are you replacing him with? Players from your own organization, they have not proved as good. Other organizational guys, okay, they're dropping in without a full training camp, without a full summer under Canucks' eyes. The Canucks are trying to be a playoff team next season, and with free agent additions, Myers is finally now appropriately slotted. On that third pair, if you need to trade him, his value will be much higher at the deadline, provided he's healthy, I'll concede that, when the cap cost isn't as crippling for an acquiring club. And let's remember, Myers was pretty good two seasons ago when he played more within his limits and started transitioning into that defensive defenseman. I'm all for a Tyler Myers trade at the appropriate time to recoup some value on this asset. But this summer and training camp is not the appropriate time. And there you have it.
0: I'm comfortable with that.
2: All right. So now we ask you to vote either on the Twitter side or if you're watching this on YouTube, please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to secure some price on YouTube. Good luck,
0: Blake. Good luck to you. Thank you. You need it. time for our errors and omissions from a day ago and good for Matt, I mean, even when he's away, providing us with errors and omissions content Um, omission, first of all, US Open now a two hole aggregate playoff, we were talking about who does what nowadays in, uh, in golf, they scrapped the 18 hole playoff in 2018 we're now we're creating another one for Monday. A still four holes.
1: Ah, uh, I can't keep track of yeah. the various playoffs. I don't think that's
0: changed. I think and yes, it's still four holes, but we'll double down on that on on Monday. He also called uh, in our Tyler Bertuzzi chat. Call him Todd. Which
4: understandable.
0: Is understandable. Yep. Yeah, it happens. Understandable. Uh, time for a bulldog line of the day from Jeff Patterson.
1: Yeah, we're a couple of weeks out from the Open Championship and. You saw Colin Morikawa lose in a playoff to Ricky Fowler last week in Detroit. So, Morikawa on form, perhaps. This is a guy that won the Open back in 2021. In fact, that's his last win on mm-hmm. tour. So, a uh, bit of a long shot, but some value, perhaps, if he is on form as he heads uh, overseas. Colin Morikawa, you can get him at plus 2000 put down 20 bucks. walk away with $400 if uh, he's holding the claret jug at the end of no, the bad. championship.
0: Yeah, I don't mind that one at all. Uh, that's your Bodog on today. Bowdog, your trusted source for sports odds. Uh, Jeff, thanks for doing this. We'll do it again on Monday as well. Uh, Chris Gear's going to join us on Monday, huh? so we look forward to talking to him about what uh, has happened so far in the hockey offseason. To date, have yourselves a great and safe weekend, everybody, and thanks so much to... Our fabulous partners uh, who also support local, Uh, you should as well. So uh, all of our fabulous partners, please do support them over the course of the weekend as well. Have yourselves a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you Monday.